0: We're on a collision course with the national championship, and the only variable is time.
1: Because the train is rolling, so anybody out there, I can't tell you what's going to happen right now, but it's coming. Get on board, but get out the way. Every single play, you got to find a way to get it done. Play after play after play after play. You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now. Here's your hosts, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, and Vince LaCocco!
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another episode of From the Pink Seats podcast. Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick, Presley Meyer in tonight for Vincent Lacoco, gets the night off. Us three gentlemen who never played football are going to try to talk some football. We'll see where the show goes. Who knows? But it is a wonderful night here in the city of Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, as always, we are excited to talk about the Louisville Cardinals, the football program specifically. A jam packed show here tonight as we get into some of the big news around the program the last few months uh, or last few weeks as we've been busy with uh, where our are they now and interviewing some pretty cool players. I'm not gonna lie, it's been a very fun uh, first four episodes, but tonight we're gonna dive into some of the storylines and things swirling around the program. Gentlemen, I welcome you in now. Presley, Matt, how are we doing this evening?
1: Oh, that's me. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize you were hyping that one up to me. Oh, I'm doing. Doing pretty good. It's It's been an eventful few weeks, that's for sure. I mean, we've been so preoccupied with, with doing uh, Where Are We Now that uh, we haven't really had the time to pencil in just your normal run-of-the-mill podcast episode. So, yeah, it's... Well, I mean, there's there's over 100 days before, until the season, so
3: this is the perfect time to do Where Are They Now because you're catching up with with past players uh, and, and kind of parlaying that into leading into the season. But I will say, when we started this site, I pretty much took over the basketball, Jacob, you pretty much took over the football. And since we've started doing that basketball has been nothing but a shit sandwich and football has been exciting and revolutionary and, you know, you
1: chose poorly.
3: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and so I'm excited to just talk about something that's fun for once, not, not to say that things can't good things can't be on the horizon for the basketball team or, The football team could could totally flop, and we could have a total flip-flop of of narratives. But as of right now, in this moment in time, there's nothing more Louisville-related that I'd rather talk about than Louisville football. So let's get right to it
2: that's right we've got a lot to talk about tonight from the pink seats podcast make sure that you subscribe anywhere you get your podcast follow us on YouTube at the state of Louisville uh, and be sure of course to follow us on Twitter at pink seeds pod if you want to get involved with the show tweet us DM us email us at the state dot uh, gmail.com stay involved with the show a lot of a lot of things that we're going to discuss here tonight we're going to dive into the news as I mentioned we'll talk about some of the transfers including uh, a very surprising transfer for Louisville football this week one that I don't think anybody really had on the radar. Uh, and then we'll get into some of the over-unders that are out there in conference realignment later in the show. But let's start off with what you need to know. This is a new segment here on the show. Pretty straightforward. We didn't do a very good job naming it. We didn't really spend much time. What you need to know, that's what you need to know. Let's dive right into it, and we'll get get—we'll go around the horn here with the news around Louisville football and around college football, really, specifically on this uh, edition of the segment here. And Let's start at the top. Louisville announces an expanded Elevate uh, name, image, and likeness platform. I don't know how much you guys paid attention to this, Matt. I'm sure you covered it uh, just from a general news standpoint. But this, uh, for people like myself who work in advertising, have a, a very uh, invested stake in name, image, and likeness. It's really interesting one to see Louisville uh, pivot from Open Doors, the platform that they worked with previously, uh, to work with the new platform. To Louisville, switching from Open Doors to Teamworks, and uh, it's interesting to to see what is going to come of this new platform, which essentially guarantees at every step of the way you are uh, you have a convenient way to get involved with name, image, and likeness. And here is what this looks like: you can connect via the cards nil exchange this is the open exchange that allows for opportunities to connect with players whether it be businesses or individuals via a number of different social channels and platforms you could give via the 502 circle if you've listened to the show for any given time you're familiar with the circle i'm sure as a fan of the of the program you're familiar with 502 circle the uh collective for the louisville program you can give and support nil that way you can rep by a name and number apparel program through fanatics and presley meyer is one that has utilized that with the mason reiger jersey which uh, mama (laughs) reiger loved that at the spring game Uh, so you can support that way and then you can shop via adidas and support the players in the program that way so a really interesting matt i'm going to come to you on this one any general thoughts on the the news here today whatever you want to kind of go with it on, on name image and likeness
1: I just like to see that Louisville is continuously adapting to the NIL landscape because, like, as we know, I mean, it's starting to get a little more even keel now. Maybe that's not the best way to describe it, but it's not as chaotic as it once was when NIL was first introduced and and things on that front were just changing day to day, hour to hour. And I mean, and we, we can be honest, Louisville, they do have a pool of fans, pool of alumni that do give but it's it's not a Texas school. It's not one of these bigger state schools. They don't have unlimited pools of money. They don't have these uber uh, wealthy donors that they can contact, like, you know, say a Mark Cuban. So they have to be on the, the forefront when it comes to, you know, staying with the times, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, so to speak, when it comes to like being the most innovative on the NIL front. And it's nice to see them because it's from what I saw, like I didn't, it seemed like things were going well with open doors, but clearly they wanted to kind of expand and transition to something that they thought would benefit them more. And so it's glad to see them stay on top of things.
2: Yeah. I will say as somebody who has dabbled in the NIL game, both with the site, the podcast, as well as in my work life, the open doors fees were ridiculous. I don't know if if this is the same case with the new partner that they're working with, but it made doing deals kind of tricky when you have to pay a, you know, a premium fee for doing so through the platform. So it'll be really interesting to see what comes of this. Hopefully we'll see a lot more jerseys for sale, guys, uh, and wrap repping, you know, the Ashton Gelatis and the Jawar Jordans uh, if you want to purchase uh, Merchandise, I might I might plug here the Air Jaws merchandise that you can find on T-Shirt <laughs> Hooligan, but we can support the players uh, that way and a number of other ways. Let's jump into the next piece of news here. So Francis Sherman, Des Melton, two tight ends on the Louisville football roster who both uh, look to be contributors on this team, will find, uh, officially have found new homes via the transfer portal. I think the most shocking transfer of the offseason outside of maybe um, the move of the punter to Colorado here is Francis Sherman transferring to Arkansas. No, uh, Eric Musselman did not contact Francis Sherman. That is not the case here, but it is really interesting (laughs) to see Francis Sherman moving into the SEC after being a guy that was really more of a blocking tight end for Louisville last year. He he obviously had his moments. And then Des Melton was a guy who came in with, with some hype as an athletic uh, pass catcher guy, never really, uh, you know, got involved with the offense. Presley. What do you think here, man? Uh, San Diego State and Arkansas for uh, Dez and Francis, respectively. Overall, any thoughts on, on these guys and their destinations? Yeah, I mean, I think
3: long-term, uh, Des Meldon's a bigger loss than Francis. I think short-term, Francis is kind of like a, you know, hit you in the mouth type of player. Uh, much more aggressive. Uh, definitely suited for SEC balls. So, it, it surprises me that he wound up at an SEC team. Because he wasn't a guy who caught a lot of passes or made a lot of big plays for Louisville. Uh, But in the same breath, I'll say that uh, for a team like Arkansas, I think that he could fit really well, especially in like a fullback, uh, H-back type of role as well. So uh, I think that Louisville is really going to miss Francis Sherman. Uh, Des Melton, obviously, is a guy that fans really like because he's just uh, he's almost like a hybrid tight end receiver, if you will. You know, he's more of a pass catcher. I I think, you know, both of these guys left. I think Francis Sherman just left for a better opportunity. I think Des Melton left for, for an opportunity that fit him better. I just don't get on the field.
2: Yeah. I don't think, I don't think he's a
3: blocking tight end. Uh, Now I will say what, what kind of bums me the most about all of this is that Louisville's kind of, uh, you know, shorthanded in the tight end room, if you will, there's really only one, uh, what I would call traditional, uh, you know, blocking tight end that's on that's on this roster now. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what kind of moves Louisville makes in the next couple of months, uh, if they can, you know, reach out and grab one more solid transfer tight end. I think that's kind of what, what we're looking to see.
2: Moving into the next one here, Lamar Jackson, Jair Alexander, two of the NFL's highest paid players, but also two players at their respective positions who are the highest paid at that particular position. I think this is a really interesting topic and one that, um, you know, we've kind of mentioned over the last few years that Satterfield and company really could never gather the momentum of those two guys in the NFL. Uh, And fellas, I'm curious to see what this new staff does to embrace and uh, really kind of uh, push the narrative of Louisville being a pro destination because of these two guys.
1: I just hope that we end up seeing more Louisville guys in the pro leagues because, I mean, other, th- other than what, Mekhi Becton, Tutu Atwell, Patrick, we haven't really seen anyone like regularly appear in an NFL game front- that's gone to Louisville in the last half decade. I mean, there have been guys, there have been plenty of guys who get training camp updates. There have been guys who have you know been to practice squads, but as far as guys under Satterfield, who are regular contributors to an NFL squad. There's not been a lot of them. So I'm hoping heading into the Jeff Romera that that's going to become a more regular occurrence. And I'm very sorry. There's someone blowing leaves right outside my house. I don't know. if you We can't can even that. hear it. So you good. No, I'm
3: sorry if you can hear him, but we can't hear him.
1: Nope.
3: So. no, we'll take uh, over I, from here. I, I will, I will say, <laughs> I will say that, that one thing that that's going to go kind of under the radar is, you know, with, with the, the way that this team is kind of uh, formed this season is, is can this coaching staff maybe get a couple more players drafted? Uh, and and we're not talking like sixth or seventh round guys, like, can, will we see a first or second round guy come off of this roster this season? Uh, I, I think there, I think there's a chance, but I, I think that the, the talent level is such as that you might have like, eight to ten guys that their ceiling is fourth to fifth round. Whereas under Bobby Petrino, there were five or six guys where you're like, yeah, that could be a first-round guy. Uh, you know, what, three or four guys ended up being first-round picks under under Petrino in his second tenure. So that'll be interesting to see what kind of talent that, that they continue to acquire. Uh, right right now, they, they brought in a lot of, uh, you know, great supplemental pieces in the portal that, that fit well with this team. That doesn't mean necessarily, though, that they're going to be Uh, successes in the NFL. And I think that's huge as far as just continuing to bring in a great talent on this roster over the next couple of years. Uh, So I'd like to see at least one or two guys where we can look at them and be like, all right, that's like a legitimate first or second round type of guy uh, on, on this roster this season. I just don't know if it's there yet.
2: It doesn't seem like it. And it, and you're right. It's been a quiet couple of years. You've obviously had some of the guys drafted, but it never felt like they got drafted where we thought maybe based off of performance on the field, they would Right? Uh, Sands the injury to control Clark. We thought he'd be a first round pick. Like, Oh yeah. We thought potentially, you know, several years ago, Tutu Atwell could be a first round pick. Obviously McKay Beckton was, uh, but it does seem like the the real narrative over the last few years, outside of the, the three drafted this year, um, was the, the number of guys that went undrafted, the CJ Avery's, the, you know, the, 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 um, uh, JV and Hawkins, you know, those kind of guys, Malik Cunningham, you know, the big name guys never were able to get to their top, uh, Quinterio called it the ceiling of their potential and they went undrafted. And I think it's a, it's an interesting narrative that will be interesting to watch as Satterfield goes to Cincinnati. Does that, Trend continue, and is that uh, more of the talent that Louisville had, or is that the lack of coaching up and development overall? We'll see. All right, let's get into the fun stuff here. The final two topics. Let's start with EA Sports. It was announced this week that EA Sports in the NIL space will partner uh, with a new partner to help players be paid to have their name and likeness appear in the new college football game, which is slated to be released, I believe, in 2024. Fellas, we are. Um, The prime users of college football back in its heyday. Um, I think my favorite year, I think it might have been the last year, was the one with Denard Robinson on the cover. I think that was 2014, 2015. 2014, yep. 2014, yeah. I really remember the fun days of college football, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to have it back. I don't care what teams are ranked number one, number two, number three, even Louisville next year, I don't care. I'm more interested in being able to play with Lamar Jackson as a Louisville Cardinal. If there is anything that we can do to get players retroactively added to this game, we got to do it, including Lamar Jackson. And in fact, I will make the, the, the case right now, Lamar Jackson should be on the cover of the first ever college football game in its NIL stage.
1: I'd like to see all the Heisman winners that um that have won the trophy ever since that last game came out. I'd like to see all of them grace the cover, but no. But if you're going to go with an individual player, Lamar certainly has the case. But anyways, as as far as the game goes, man, I cannot wait until it comes out. The only reason I even still have my Xbox 360 plugged up is because every once in a while I'll be like, "You know what? I feel like playing NCAA Football 14." Like that game was so much fun. It was when it was when you have that to choose that and Madden to choose from, I mean, it was no contest to me. It, like, NCAA uh, franchise was a lot more fun, and like Madden's kind of sucked in the last few years, so it's not, it, it, will be, it will be nice to have that option back available to me. I love Road to Glory, I love the franchise, the recruiting aspect of franchise mode. Oh, it's just it was so much fun. Now, I kind of want to play it after this podcast episode. <laughs> I'm
2: gonna kick your ass, like, I'm going to. Just oh, the fuck you will. You. <laughs> I am going to tear you apart the first time we play this game. Like guaranteed, right now, I'll bet you a steak dinner at steak and bourbon that I kick your ass. B- bet. Let's bet. Right now. Handshake through the camera. Boom. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm kicking your ass, man. I don't care who up. So play what with.
1: are the parameters for the teams? Are we, are we just gonna go balls to the wall and pick the best available teams or are we gonna. Look, even man, it I, out. I feel
2: like it's all about you finding what you're good at. Right. I, I mean, you can go and you can take Alabama, you know, just like in Madden, you could go and you can be, you, you know, the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. But I I know my niche. I know what I'm good at and I know what I need to kick your ass. So I don't know. We'll see what it looks like next year. I might think Louisville. We'll see. Pierce Carson and, and, and the Louisville Cardinals maybe come coming to town to kick Matt McGavick's ass.
1: I'll, I'll just give you a little hint. Whoever the leading rusher in FBS is that year, I'm picking that team. All right, Well, I'm that's running that ball fun. down your throat.
2: <laughs> I love to hear it. Let's jump into the final one here. And this is an extremely interesting one because I think that this could be the future of college athletics and could be something to watch for here in Louisville, specifically down the road. Uh, Today, it was announced by the University of Tennessee that uh, a new entertainment district, the first of its kind, was going to be a part of their football stadium experience connecting campus to Neyland Stadium. Uh, And this will include restaurants. This will include shopping. There is a lot of things um, overall, uh, parking garages, restaurants, additional tailgating, family friendly entertainment activities, a lot of things that will be included in this. And this is in an effort to keep fans coming to games, uh, and ex- especially as we get to this era, fellas, where sitting at home and watching all the college football games on your couch, having the beer in your refrigerator, not having to worry about the $25 chicken tender plate. Like, its it's a new age in <laughs> athletics where not everyone can participate. Not everyone wants to go. This is supposed to open the doors and allow fans a new experience overall. And it's really neat to see because you see this with like the Lakers, for example, right? L.A. Live. And that's who the that Tennessee mentions in the press release is kind of modeling this after. Uh, it's an entertainment district made up of a variety of things around the stadium there or at, at uh, Crypto Arena in Los Angeles. And there's, you know, around the KFCM Center, it's not as. Kind of entertainment district, but it is, you know, you do have all the restaurants around, there's a lot of things to do. Um, and I think considering the you know, in the long term, the 10 15 years for Louisville football, you look at the plot of land that they're on, there's a lot of old businesses, a lot of older buildings that have been there for a long time. And as Louisville football starts to get back to It's top potential. I don't, I'm curious as the fan interest grows, if that is the case, if Louisville doesn't look to expand around Cardinal stadium, connecting the alley to the stadium, building restaurants, building shops that they own, it'll be really interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the potential that's there for Louisville,
3: it's huge because I think that you have to build an entertainment district that it serves its purpose, 365 days a year. I, I think that that's the key. It can't just be six to seven times a year that they're able to truly utilize this, it has to be okay. Where are students going to go on a Thursday or Friday night uh, during during the school year when it's not football season? Or you know, what are people going to do? Uh, say they want to go down to the Yum Center, but they don't want to want to fight the traffic or something like that. You know what what is what is Louisville going, going to be able to offer to them? um outside of just you know pretty the very
2: limited options right now that that are on beefo brady's uh w- what else is even around there anymore i mean yeah, they, i can remember it's, I can it's funny remember watching...
1: brady's is actually closed now <laughs> oh is it
2: the one at yeah. third at third and central yeah Whoa! it's close man i used to go for two for ones. that was the deal there back in the day when we were in school uh and it was a place where i remember watching um the Freedom Hall uh, finale from that Bevo Brady's, but there's never historically been shit to do around Louisville. Like it was the Mongolian Grill or the, the hookah bar. It was the, you know, I mean, the, just Cardinal Town had, what was it, Cluckers or whatever the case or whatever it was called. Oh, I miss Cluckers. And then it was Griff's. <laughs> like there's never been a true... Place to go around campus that is the campus bar, or you right. know, I mean, you, you so have Grandville, the granny. yeah, You've got the old Louisville places, but you know, in terms of of the 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 high foot traffic, there's so many Louisville students, and like you're saying, away games, different things. There's an opportunity. And I'm not I, I know that the leadership that's here, Josh Heard, Lottie Stockwell, they are way ahead of this, like for Louisville, for sure. And I'm sure for them today, this is big news that they're keeping an eye on, because, again, there is a lot of opportunity around Cardinal Stadium for expansion and growth and, and even in Cardinal Stadium. Right. Didn't, did you all get the survey about the, the flight deck? this year and like it's very clear they're doing something with the flight deck yeah matt there was a survey that went out asking people Mm. and i can't remember the exact questions but it it was like would you go to it if it was a rooftop bar type of thing like asking different scenarios overall for fans Mm. that
3: that didn't get a chance to to see this Uh, so first of all they're, they're looking at three different areas where they'll have a standing room only uh type of situation where you pay to have it, an upscale standing room only with high top tables uh, you know maybe like a little fire going during the winter that kind of stuff it's pretty it dope I'm not like a lie. chill lounge situation uh, a lot of NFL stadiums are doing this
2: yeah we can yeah. we could Lottie Lottie let's get a pool in the stadium come on Lottie. Let's go let's get let's a pool in
1: you the want stadium. To do what the Jags did <laughs> the Jags <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. let's get
2: a pool in the stadium man
3: so it sounds like uh, you know, what they're looking at is a situation similar to what they built at, in, during the new expansion uh, that, that's right behind the north end zone. They're thinking about doing something similar in the south end zone. I think that's kind of what they've come come to is, is uh, they're, they're going to do something as far as maybe not standing room only, but maybe some like prime seats, you know, kind of like a sitting courtside sort of situation. Uh, and Josh Heard mentioned that on, on the radio that that could be something that could come as soon as this season where they that's actually have, dope. where they have players that are like, or people that are sitting on the field. Uh, and then the, the other situation, it sounds like the most likely would be, they would actually turn the, uh, what, what Vince Lococo refers to as the beer garden, uh, which <laughs> is the, which is the, uh, the area b- above the, the party deck zone, the party deck. Yeah. Uh, they would turn that into, you actually pay to get in there and you can, because those are great. I mean, that's a great place to stand and watch a game. But I, I think the whole the whole idea is to continue to drive the, the fun aspects of uh, of going to Louisville football games, because, I mean, as we know, there, there's not there's nothing more fun than being Cardinal Stadium. Win, it's lose. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's the six of the best days of the year. Like, it really is. The, whatever the weather is, what it's the social scene there is great. The atmosphere is great that they've cultivated. And now with with the Brahms coming in and with this excitement, this renewed energy around the team, for the first time ever, they might actually be selling out this expanded stadium or getting pretty damn close. And so with that in mind, you know, how do you capitalize on that? They're already their marketing perspective, right? They're already looking at doing something like that. So I, I, I would be looking at either the party deck or the area that connects uh, the the expanded north end zone area. There's two areas where there's like a walkthrough uh, between mm-hmm. the, the, the Pepsi Club side and the east and west sides. Uh, lots of different lots of potential with cardinal stadium and i think it's it's a perfect opportunity to have businesses that come and, and actually stay there because i think that's that's the main issue that businesses have right now in cardinal town yeah uh, and, and on the other side of, of cardinal stadium is you know it's just as as matt indicated you know it's kind of a revolving door right now so i I'd, I'd like to see them build something that's that's new exciting fun uh, mm-hmm. and and drives business to that area because i think
2: there's lots of college students that that are more than willingness to hit it. Yeah. A- there is so many different things that they could do overall. And I think we can all agree, maybe outside of Matt, Matt, I don't, I don't know how many times over the last 10 years you've sat in the flight deck. I used to have season tickets up there. It is a terrible experience and no, oh, no offense yeah. I, I, had, I had who, season
1: tickets in the flight deck before. It's horrible.
2: Like, I mean, yeah. you feel like you're on a different planet. Like I can remember specifically that Bilal power run against Cincinnati in 2010, whatever that was. Being up there and being like, you know, and with my binoculars, looking down, trying to enjoy the moment and being everybody's like, what's happening? You know, it's just little ants running around down the field. It it is not a good viewing experience in its current state. And I think there is they went too quick too big and i think that there's now this opportunity with the infrastructure to kind of more customize and and make what it is into something different that's top of the line and 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 a complete maybe outside of the box so we'll see it's gonna be definitely interesting to watch Uh, matt any closing thoughts on the stadium expansion anything you'd like to see uh any of the thoughts that presley had that you'd want to expand on
1: i i I just want to see louisville do something with the land that's Around the stadium because I mean, like we've we've said before uh we started recording, uh there's that giant lot right next to the soccer stadium that's that's mainly being used to just house an overflow of cars right now. There's that giant patch of land um in between where Speed School is and Jim Patterson Stadium is the baseball stadium. And then like there's it's literally just grass. There's nothing developed there except for like an abandoned like relay power station or something like that. Like th- there's real opportunity for Louisville to do Something something, and and like go, someone going with something along those lines. I know I've uh, I've never seen concept art or, or pictures of L.A. Live. So the first thing that comes to me when I hear like an entertainment venue or entertainment complex built around a stadium, the first thing that comes to my mind is the battery in Atlanta because you've got Truist Park where the Braves play and literally right next to it is an entire complex of bars, restaurants, shops, yeah. other you know, entertainment options. It's, I, it would, I'm not saying Louisville should build, you know, this massive, you know, complex there, but I think they should. Why they need not? To be-
2: Why not? You know? It's, it's a pro, it's a pro arena and a pro stadium here in Louisville. Like it is an NFL stadium in the in a college town or in a, in a big city. Like, you know, you talk about entertainment district, Cincinnati, right, right outside of the, the Red Stadium and, and U.S. Bank Arena. I mean, all of that connects and there's bars and there's the Newport Levy and there's hotels. There's an opportunity around the stadium for hotels, for restaurants, for I, this is going to sound like something that's not that big of a deal, but parking garages, there's opportunities to in, expand and enhance. And I think that all comes with Louisville fans going out and supporting, which I can't encourage you to do enough this season, uh, season tickets, all that stuff, get out there and support the program. Because as the fans attend, there's more revenue and more opportunities overall to to grow and enhance. Let's go ahead and let's take a break here real quick early on in the show. When we come back, we'll get into the the meat of things, talking about transfers, looking at some of the news around the, the, uh, the over and under that have come out from some of the big sports books, uh, as well as conference realignment, which all of a sudden the ACC uh, <laughs> is the, the the real home of, of controversy around that topic. So we'll dive into that, what it means for Louisville, uh, who you can believe, who you can't believe, uh, some of the rumors that are out there, things of that nature. Uh, but before we do that, I want to tell you about l and Eats. New episode coming in the next five or so days. I don't know. Maybe I'd say three, five, seven, somewhere in that range. New episode coming. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube uh, channel at the State of Louisville uh, to support the guys. They are going out to Melt 502, which is a very unique restaurant with some great food, great experience. They're joined by Peyton Siva on this episode. So you definitely want to catch that on YouTube. Follow the guys at LM underscore Eats on Twitter. And we will be right back on the other side to talk about transfers. and we're back from the pink seeds podcast subscribe to the show if you are not already rate and review anywhere you get your pods from follow us on twitter at pink seeds Pod, at matt underscore Megavic at jacob lane 08 at press meyer at the state of Lou at uofl report that's a lot of twitter handles but i think that uh, you're probably following most of those by now i would imagine if not do that and let's dive into the big kind of storyline around louisville the last month or so uh, and that is the success in the transfer portal. Louisville is up to what is it Matt? 21 transfers now in the 21 class of 23 transfers in, nine
1: since mid-April.
2: 9 since mid-April and uh, since the portal reopened following spring football, Louisville really has been the darling of the portal. They have made some uh, big additions to the team bringing in a couple of offensive linemen, a couple defensive backs a linebacker and, and most recently to uh, this week, a quarterback, which was a surprise mm-hmm. to many. Uh, and let's start there. Brady Allen, former top 200 player in the country, the second highest rated quarterback commit in the history of Purdue uh, plays in one game as a freshman hits the portal uh, and joins Louisville. And the conversation around this has been interesting fellows because Um, it it is brought to the forefront whether or not after one quick round of spring football, Jeff Brom has made a decision on the future of Pierce Clarkson. That that is the narrative uh, for some folks. Other folks have said it's all about the competition. Jack Plummer is going to be gone after this year. Brady Allen may compete to be the backup this season. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, it it really is up in the air. It seems at this point that Pierce Clarkson is – more likely than not to, to have a red shirt, maybe playing four games, but likely red shirt uh, with somebody like a Brady Allen or potentially a Brock Doman being the backup to him primarily. Uh, but as we've seen injuries happen and you can be at your Sean McCormick in a matter of minutes, if you're not careful. <laughs> uh, and so Louisville building depth. And uh, I-, I tweeted this from the pink seats podcast uh, account this week, that Brahm has done in five months, what Satterfield could never do. And that is land impactful quarterbacks. He's now brought in three, three big time quarterbacks. If you include Deuce uh, Adams in that class of 2024, but Brady Allen comes over and I'm just curious, guys, what do you, what do we think? I I think we all agree that Jack Plummer is the guy. There's no challenging that this year, unless there's an injury in camp or, uh, you know, he gets out to a slow start, but. I'm curious if you all think that this is a a move for this season, or if this is more about the future of uh, competition and and kind of elevating that room overall.
1: I mean, it, it's not something we should have been surprised by because I mean, in it was either in Jeff Brom's uh, introductory press conference or one of those press conferences or interviews soon thereafter. He very much subscribes to the Howard Schnellenberger school of thought. I mean, being a Schnellenberger guy, I mean, he's want to have as many competitive quarterbacks on the roster as he can. And what was like one of the the biggest storylines throughout the centerfield era? On, I mean, yeah, not landing the quarterbacks is that, I mean, Malik Cunningham went his entire tenure at Louisville unchallenged. There was legitimately no one on this roster. Well, let me rephrase that. There was no one on this roster who gave him a legitimate challenge or push for the starting position. And now, I mean, I don't want to look too far ahead to 2024. You've got two, three a good options to maybe start you're going to have a really good quarterback battle between Brady Allen and Pierce Clarkson guys who are both top 200 prospects in their respective class and you've got a 2024 guy and in, induce Adams who's only getting better in rising in the recruiting ranking rankings by the weeks I mean you, you you need to have a deep quarterback room it's not good enough just to have your one starter Like you need to have a contingency plan. You need to have a backup plan because as we've seen all across college football, like injuries happen and sometimes they happen without rhyme or reason. And that can derail a season. But if you have plenty of, of competition in that quarterback room, guys who know the offense guys who can step in and have minimal talent and production drop off, then maybe you can still salvage your season. I mean, and I I get why a lot of people see this move and like, Oh, well, there goes Pierce. Like, I mean would you really think that Brom would not like at least chat with Pierce first and say like hey like we 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 like you for the long term but we need we need this then we need there to be competition. You really think he he wouldn't just have that conversation with him first and be like oh hey Pierce like here's here's another quarterback. Like these are ongoing conversations. Maybe. Like
2: I don't I don't know. I I honestly I don't know. I mean I don't know Has a guy that young deserve the right to be have a conversation with about that uh, maybe because he's probably one of the you know one of the i mean got, you know in got this an situation NIL bag,
1: probably like, you know. considering pierce clarkson has been like the face of this new incoming sure. crop of freshmen i mean like he's been like the the champion of these guys i mean so i i think these conversations are being had maybe not to like this large degree but i, th- I think brawn would be silly if he didn't at least like Maybe not consult and be like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" Or needs to just like, "Hey, like we're we're doing this," like you know. Because I mean, you want competition too,
2: no doubt, no doubt. And, and the the thing is, is that there's now a number of guys, and this can go a number of ways. But what's interesting is, you know, I, I think I I'd seen somebody mention Brady Allen as a dual threat quarterback. But to me, you know, just from what I've seen, it seems more of that he is a kind of traditional Jeff Brom quarterback of tall, you know, not necessarily athletic, but can, you know, is able to maneuver in the pocket is a, is a downfield passer. Um, And so that's kind of interesting to add that in with Pierce Clarkson, who is the mobile quarterback, who would probably be more of an RPO based quarterback and, and do some of those things out of the shotgun and the pistol. Uh, It's really interesting to watch. And one thing that's uh, kind of of note here, if you listen to the show, maybe you caught this from Greg Brom, but he mentioned in his, his interview, when he was on, where are they now with us? that they have historically, because of their impact of Howard Schnellenberger, played two quarterbacks. Uh, And I wanted to follow up and ask him if that was an option this year. didn't seem like the right time or opportunity, but it does make you wonder – could there potentially be a situation where Brady Allen plays a little bit for Louisville in year one? I don't know. We'll see what happens. Pierce Clarkson four games though. The redshirt rule very very beneficial to Louisville and how they use those. And you have the Murray State game. You know that maybe you get a that Georgia Tech game gets out of hand, or maybe you get a game uh, later in the season where you blow somebody out and you can get him some snaps. But overall, it seems like this is going to be Jack Plummer, and then from there we'll see what happens. From the quarterback to the guys protecting the quarterback, that is where the biggest moves on the offense offense has been made Willie Tyler a starting left tackle comes over from Rutgers Uh, you bring in um, uh, the Lance Robinson from Houston who played at the right tackle spot you also bring in Vincent Lumia from Duquesne who has experience playing in a number of positions and then Eric Miller who was the really high profile three-year starter at Purdue uh, I believe played left tackle for Purdue uh, last Mm -hmm. season comes in and, and it starts to become a little bit clearer and here's what's interesting about this We'll get into buy or sell and we'll talk about these guys um, and kind of where they shake out. But I think the offensive line from a, a, a standpoint, not only of depth, but just what you can do from a starting standpoint is interesting now. Because you had Brian Hudson, uh, Michael Gonzalez was really a penciled in starter because of how much he's played at every position the last few years. And then you had Renato Brown. Now, those all three of those guys have position versatility, right? Brian Hudson has played center and guard. Renato Brown has played guard and tackle. Uh, you've had uh, 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 Michael Gonzalez play guard and tackle. John Pl- John Paul Flores, who transferred in from Virginia, has position versatility. Now you have like nine guys who you can play guard, center, tackle, and it becomes much more interesting overall as to what they can do from an offensive line standpoint. It's fascinating to me because of
3: the perspective of, of the way that offensive linemen work in in the new system versus how they worked in the Field system. Uh, there is a lot of intricacies to to blocking on the offensive line in the Field system, whereas in Brum's system, it's going to be more like line up and you know across from the guy in front of you and hit him in the mouth. Like that's you know they have a much more traditional blocking scheme and in the in Brum system. And what that gives you is versatility uh, on the offensive line. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to know from play to play if you're pulling, if you're, if you're, you know um, you know, going with or against the play uh, you know, it's more just run versus pass. Um, now, I don't want to I don't want to simplify it that much. And, you know, I'm five nine. So the knowing the intricacies of a of offensive line blocking schemes was never in my uh, in my wheelhouse necessarily.
1: It's I'm a biscuit watching. episode. <laughs> yeah,
3: Absolutely. That is definitely a biscuit episode. Uh, but I can tell you that that they're not blocking. Uh, they're they're going to be blocking a little bit more across the face uh, in, in the Brom scheme. And to me, what that opens up is is more opportunities for more players to get in uh, and and get in earlier and and more often. Uh, So you won't necessarily have a Renato Brown or a Michael Gonzalez, you know, switching positions. But if they if they need to, it's not going to be something where I think it's as big of a deal as it was in the Satterfield system. So I like that. And I like that they have added added these pieces that seem like they're uh, very specific uh, in, in the way that they've recruited these guys. So, so I, I like that a lot. Um, it's very interesting to me. A lot of these guys have played the left side of the line specifically. Uh, so that goes to show you what the staff values. Uh, it seems like they kind of left the right side of the line as it stood alone and, and kind of, you know, gravitated to left guard and left tackle. So, again, it'll be interesting to see wh- how they switch things up, how easy that adjustment is in the Braum system. But overall, I mean, you got you to chalk this up as a massive dub. I mean we'll get into to what the starters may look like here later down uh down the road but right right now I mean I
2: I really like what what they're doing. Down the road I is just, right down the road is right now. That's what I want to talk about is the starters, the five starters. Matt McGavick, if you are Richard Owens, who do you roll out day game one Georgia Tech snap one? Who are your five starters on the offensive line?
1: I would put Eric Miller at left tackle just because I mean he's played in that system for three years now. So, I mean, that he, just makes he, sense. Yeah,
2: he's the left tackle, I think. I think, yeah.
1: Yeah. You would put John Paul Flores at left guard because, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all he played at both UVA and Dartmouth was. Is that where he was before UVA? And, and then Brian Hudson at center. I mean, duh. And then at right guard, you would put Michael Gonzalez. I mean, and while Gonzalez started 2022, almost exclusively at... Left tackle towards that back half of the year, he took a lot of snaps at right guard because of some relative depth issues. So, Gonzalez sliding from left tackle to right guard, it makes sense. Uh, but at left tackle, I would, as of right now, right tackle go with yeah, that's what I said. No, you said left tackle, did I? Oh, you did you, right tackle, did I? Okay, but anyways, <laughs> as of right now. I would go with Renato Brown only because he's the veteran there and he's been around a little of the longest, but Lance Robinson is right there behind him because I mean, while both him and Willie Tyler have plenty of experience in their respective careers, I think Lance Robinson is probably the, the better one of those two transfers quite frankly, might be the, the better, right tack, better right tackle on the roster right now. But, I mean, as of right now, Ronaldo Brown's going to be your starter until proven otherwise because, I mean, he just went through spring ball. Lance was still in the portal at that point. So, I mean, as of right now, I'm going to go with Ronaldo Brown at right tackle, but I would not be surprised if it was Lance Robinson or Willie Tyler.
2: Yeah, I, I think that the left tackle and right tackle competitions are going to be two of the most interesting, uh, regardless of position, in, in fall camp because – Michael Gonzalez played a lot behind Trevor Reed last year, but he also, as you mentioned, played for Adonis Boone quite a bit last year at right guard. Uh, and I also don't think it's out of the question that Renato Brown is a right guard potentially next season and that there is a guy like Willie Tyler or Lance Robinson playing right tackle. Um, I, I definitely think, as we've mentioned, there's a lot of versatility there. I've always thought Renato Brown would be a really good offensive guard. He is a mauler uh, and a guy who um, you know has had his ups and downs, but really in his final year, I think his future in the NFL would be at guard. So there's a, you know some of that potential to watch out for. Uh, And let's let's switch to the defensive side of the ball now. Louisville brings in a couple of defensive backs to shore up a a already really really you know stellar unit. When you talk about bringing in guys like Devin Neal to go along with MJ Griffin and Josh Minkins and some of the other guys that are already on the roster, but they bring in Keith, uh, excuse me, uh, Storm Duck, cornerback out of North Carolina, um, who has been a really big impactful player. I think he was what second team or third team All Conference, second team
1: All ACC. Yep.
2: Yeah, and, and so he comes in, and it figures to kind of uproot uh, potentially Quincy Riley, Jarvis Brownley. I mean, I don't think you bring a guy like that in to not be a day-one starter. Comes in with some pretty good numbers, and then uh, they also add Cameron Kelly, another North Carolina guy. I think he had been at Virginia yep. for fall camp, which I find it very interesting that guys spring are jumping out. Yeah, yeah, sorry, spring camp. It's, Storm Duck was at Penn State prior to coming to Louisville. Um, So uh, another guy, I think, was uh, an all ACC performer, not last season, but the year before, 179 career tackles, uh, two tackles for loss, five interceptions and seven pass deflections has position versatility cornerback and safety uh, and then you also bring in a linebacker who figures to be the guy next to stanquan clark and that's keith brown not keith brown who played here from 2012 to t- or whatever it was in 2014 a different <laughs> keith brown I-, I think it was really funny presley confused a lot of people when he tweeted that uh <laughs> like when that guy's in <laughs> his ninth year of college football that's incredible uh but he comes in doesn't have a ton of of uh you know, statistical impact, 36 tackles, one sack, one tackle for loss, 19 games played over two years. But he's a guy who was behind some big name linebackers uh, and figures to be a day one starter, as I mentioned, next to freshman Stanquan Clark. What do you guys think about that Keith Brown? I want to start with him because the linebacker group looks surprisingly good in in spring ball. But we've all known that they had to add somebody. Is, is this the guy like, is this the guy that pushes that unit over the top?
1: I still think they probably have to comb the transfer portal a little bit more just to see if there's any additional um, linebackers available, like power five starter caliber linebackers available. But I mean, this his addition to the roster isn't nothing like this is a guy who was who was a top 200 prospect coming out of college he might've even been a top 100, depending on what recruiting service you go after. And the only reason he didn't really see much playing time in his first two years at Oregon was because Oregon had one of the better linebacker rooms in all of college football. So that wasn't really a huge indictment on him. So I think he he's very much a candidate to, to start day one, uh, once fall camp gets here, uh, it's going to be interesting to see who Brahman company decide to pencil in as a starter at inside linebacker next to him. It, I, I don't think Stan Stan going to start game one. I think it's either going to be TJ Quinn or KJ Cloyd starting next to Brown. But I mean, there's still plenty of open competition there because while uh while Quinn, while Cloyd, while Stanquan, they all looked good in the spring. I mean, that's still a position where there isn't a lot of returning production and just experience there.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. I, I mean KJ Cloyd is the most experienced guy and he entered the portal early in the offseason, decided to come back after some other guys transferred out, specifically Debo and Monty. Um, and, and he was always a guy who was, you know, when he played for the most part, he he wasn't, you know wasn't the best player on the field, but he was impactful and he did his job and and same with TJ Quinn, but there is still, you know, the opportunity for that position to take a step forward. I do think that Stan Quan Clark is going to end up being one of the top players in that room. Maybe it's not week one against Georgia Tech, but maybe by week seven, week eight, he stepped into a starting role. And of course you have, you know, Ben Perry and and Gilbert Frierson who are going to not necessarily play linebacker, but uh, assist in some of those roles. Uh, And so you really have a, a by committee approach, but I do think though, adding Keith Brown, Getting some of the guys experience, which I don't I don't think that this should be left out that they added a linebacker after spring so that guys like TJ Quinn, Jalen Alderman, some of those guys, KJ Cloyd could even get more snaps. So I think that's going to benefit this group. But for me, this is the real weak spot in the defense. Like this is the group where if we're going to see mistakes week to week, we're going to see Louisville have liability. It's right here because they just don't have a ton of guys who have done it for uh, you know a number of years. Last thing on the transfers from a defensive standpoint uh, is how in the hell does Jeff Brom get all these defensive backs on the field? Right? You bring in, <laughs> I mean, it's just like you—you you think you're like, okay, they can't bring any more defensive backs in, right? And then they bring in two more. They already added uh, Marquise Gross, killebrew this offseason. I mentioned Devin Neal, Gilbert Frierson is going to probably play more of that linebacker. What's it? What's the role, Matt? What's the name of the position that he plays? The Rover star. star. Okay. Thank you. Um, you know, he's going to play more of that kind of hybrid role, but there's going to be Josh Minkins. There's going to be MJ Griffin, who I think, I think MJ Griffin is the best pro on this team right now. And it might not be close. Uh, but so those guys are going to take a step forward. Josh Minkins has been, uh, you know, injured all off season. Uh, so he's going to have to kind of prove that he can, um, compete with some of these guys, but Cameron Kelly, Devin Neal, Um, You know, I've mentioned Josh Minkins. There's so many guys. How do you play them all? What do you do here, Matt? Is it just you have a lot of depth or is it really just we're going to see opportunities for, you know, four or five defensive backs on the field?
1: Rotate, rotate, rotate. I mean, and plus in this day and age of football, I mean, offenses are more privy. to want to pass more often and, and go three, four, five wide even sometimes. So, I mean, the more defensive backs you have, the better. So, I mean, you just got to rotate guys continuously because you've got several guys on this roster who probably have a case to start, whether that be at corner, whether that be at nickel. Just got to give them all playing time. Just rotate, 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 like I said.
2: yeah. Who, who in your opinion, leads this team in interceptions? It, it, because there's so many ways that you could go. MJ Griffin had, you know, kind of a strong end of last year. Quincy Riley, I think, what, was either the lead for the team or was right up there? And he, he led the team. He, he was kind of hit or miss on whether he was a starter, you know, week to week in a reserve role. Who on this team, at, at the end of the day, becomes the the interception king? You know, I, I was going to say it's going to be Quincy Riley because
3: he had such limited snaps last year, and still, I mean, I, I believe two interceptions came in one game, uh, but he was a yeah. ball hawk.
2: I think it was game. Wake Forest when he had those yes, two. Yeah, game, he had the yeah. yeah.
3: six, and then he had another interception that almost was returned for a touchdown. Um, I, I still think it's Quincy Riley because I think that's the guy who just has the best nose for the ball on this team. I like Storm Duck's ability. I, I, hell, I, could, I even could see it being like a like a Josh Minkins. I could see it being like a Devin Neal. Uh, Devin Neal was again kind of like a ball hawking, uh, you know, middle safety. Wh- whoever it is, they're going to have more interceptions than than the leader had last season, which was three. I like it. Uh, Louisville struggled to honestly create interceptions last season. I think that was – if you could point to, to one kind of downfall of the defense, they weren't – you know, they created a lot of turnovers. They created a lot of sacks, uh, the most in the country, but they didn't – they did not force a lot of interceptions out from the secondary.
1: Am I, am I wrong on that, Matt? You're I mean, very wrong. They were top twenty-five in the nation in interceptions. In
3: interceptions, they were.
1: Yes, they had Individ- fourteen.
3: Individually, they there were not a lot of guys on, on the team. I mean, you you're, collectively
1: you're they they did really well. Individually, not so much. But okay. no, they, yeah, no, they they were very much one of the better teams. They were second in the ACC in interceptions. Were they really? Okay, yeah. Right. Well, the only one that was better was NC State.
3: Jacob just just edited this whole thing out. I'm totally <laughs> wrong. I'm terrible. All right. I'm terrible at this. But no, no. I mean, I was just telling. Regardless, I mean, the players that are returning. You have three from Quincy Riley. Not a bunch more from. I mean, you know, Jarvis Brownley had what one or two. Um, so, again, not 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 a ton of production coming back interception wise. But again, could be totally wrong on the interception front. Apparently, I'm just
1: ill informed. See. I think the easy answer for this question would be Storm Douglas, just because you know, second team All ACC guy, and then another good answer is Quincy Riley, because you know, in his limited steps, limited snaps, he did lead the team in interceptions. I'm I'm gonna say, it's, it might be a little bit surprising to you guys or to either or to some listeners. I think the leader in interceptions is going to be Jarvis Brownlee. I really do, because I mean, yeah, he was very. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde last year. He he had phenomenal plays, then he had a handful of really really horrible plays. Like he was he was very up and down. But then you you look at his final stat line for the season. Yeah, he had the two interceptions. He had 12 pass deflections, which was I think tied for second or third in all the ACC. So, those are just basically pass deflection is just that close to an interception. Mm -hmm. And then just watching him in the spring, he arguably was one of the best players in all of spring ball. He looked phenomenal in every single open practice that I went to. He looked like he was even more so locked in than he was last season. And just talking to him, it's very clear that he's on a mission heading into the season, just kind of basing off of what he said about the, the last coaching staff. So it would not surprise me one bit if it was, Jarvis Brownlee that not only led the team in interceptions, but vaulted himself into all ACC corner status.
3: I think that you guys will get into this a little bit more in the offseason. Actually, probably a lot more in the offseason. But what was kind of the downfall, the shortfall of Jarvis Brownlee? Because if you remember, when he came over from Florida State, we were all extremely excited. And Florida State fans were like, yeah, see you later. Like, kind of excited that they were kind of getting rid of the, the Jekyll and Hyde that was Jarvis Brownlee. Um, and then I think last year, towards the end of the season, I think fans started to appreciate him a lot more. Obviously, early in the season, uh, he had he had some kind of questionable games against Florida State and Syracuse, but sandwiched in between that was uh, an excellent game against Central Florida, you know, and he has the game-winning inter- interception as well at the end of the game. Uh, he made a lot of solid plays against, you know, quality opponents last season and seemed to get better and better. So in your opinion, what, what was it that, that caused fans to kind of be sour on, on Jarvis Brownlee last season.
1: I think the best way to put it is that he's just a physical Von Diggs. He gets a lot of interception. He's very, he, he's very physical in the, that five yards around the line of scrimmage. And he, he does get his hands on a lot of balls, but he also gives up some, He just, he, he gets toasted a lot too. I mean, yeah. he's, he, he's very risky in how in how he plays his game which you know it, it's it's risk or reward I mean you're either, it's either going to pay out or you're going to pay for it mm-hmm. so I mean that's that's just the nature of his game but just watching him in spring ball it, it, it looks like the the risk part of his game was starting to phase out a little bit I mean obviously with a player like that it's still going to be there to an extent but it seems like the reward part is starting to grow a little bit more just because of how much of a pest he was in spring. Just, just, how, he just looked the most, how do I say this? Just looked the most ready to play the season. It's, it's just the best way I can put it.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the other thing I'd say too, is that Jarvis Brownley feels like a really good fit in a Ron English defense. Uh, and and I, I just think he's more of an aggressor than any of the other corners on this team. So, whereas, you know, uh, like a Quincy Riley or a storm duck feels like more of a field player uh, you know, more predicated on speed and Jarvis Brownlee is much more of a larger uh, rangier, more aggressive defender. So I think that's what kind of makes him stand out among the rest of the the players on the team. I think the MGK uh, Marcus Groves Killebrew is the guy that's going to be closest to him on this team. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, if you just look at the, the, the rankings alone and the pedigree of these players, this is the deepest secondary the Louisville's ever had. I mean, when you look at a, a Storm Duck, uh, an MGK, who is a, you know, a top, what, 150 player, uh, yeah. you got Cameron Kelly. It's pretty much just the, as far as, you know, four, four and five-star type of players, I can't think of a, of a defense that, that had more, uh, a better pedigree coming out of, out of high school or, or as a, a recruit in the transfer portal.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly going to be interesting. There's a lot of bodies in, in the secondary that uh, compared to the last few years where you've had four guys, and that was really it. Uh, going to be a lot to to watch for to see who really emerges, and that's what's going to make fall camp really interesting in year one. Speaking of fall camp and speaking of of Louisville and in, in the 2023 season, we've seen a lot of over-under start to kind of come out over the last few days from some of the major sports book, and I think it's really interesting – where Louisville is. They came out last year and we all expected them to probably be somewhere in the seven and a half to eight and a half win range. And, Vegas had them at, I think, six and a half. And they ended five up, and a half
1: was the lowest that I saw.
2: Yeah. So, and I think they ended up getting bet up to six and a half. But that was one yep. where I remember David Hale was saying, That's the bet. You hammer that in the ACC this year. Louisville's over six and a half. And they ended up being right. Obviously, Louisville Good State wins. Uh, if you bet that, congratulations. I wish I would have listened. But this season, um, I, I think that we're going to end up being at a higher place overall. Um, they they come in and, and they open, I think, with it was bet online was at seven and a half and now has been bet up to eight. Uh, FanDuel has Louisville at eight and a half wins uh, from an really? over under standpoint so that you're seeing they're starting to be for the first time some momentum for Louisville football nationally. And this is what this program needs more than anything right now is just somebody to talk about them. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's ESPN or if it's bet online, somebody besides us three talking about <laughs> football, like that's what they need. So fellas, what do we think is, are you hammering that bet right now? Are you going over, uh, over eight and a half or, or even over seven
1: and a half? What do we think right now? I don't know if I would hammer it right now. Cause I, I do want to see how they spend these next few uh, scholarship spots, but you know, I've, I've, Got my finger over the button on um on the over option. Because I mean, when I did my way too early prediction, mine was sitting right at eight and four. And the four losses that I had were at Pitt, at NC State, against Notre Dame, and against, you know, that school down the road. I with all the additions that they made in the portal recently and what and who they're still after as it pertains to like filling out roster needs. I mean A game against like against Pitt, that one that was a little bit 50-50 for me. I ended up going with pitch because it's on the road. Miami, I'm not sold on at all, even though that is going to be a road game because Miami is one of those teams that's ever since the early 2000s, they generate a lot of hype in the in the preseason and offseason, then they fall spectacularly short of fulfilling them. So I think that would be a win. I think a team like Duke is probably gonna scare like potentially a trap game, but I think Louisville benefits from that being at home. But anyways, I'm starting to ramble um global benefits like like we've like we have said like many others have said like national people have said they have the easiest schedule in the ACC they have one of the easiest schedules in the power 5 to be quite frank with you i mean you you don't have to play clemson you don't have to play florida state you don't have to play north carolina you only have to play uh miami and Pitt which are the two your two best like com- competitors in the ACC and you play the bottom four okay
2: but you're playing notre dame though so don't undersell they're that, not acc eh? though I get it. I get it. But I'm still saying like, it's not as if this, I, yes, it's easy on paper, right? We're playing, they got Boston college and they got Pittsburgh and they got Virginia tech, but let's not act as if NC state's uh, nobody. Right. I mean, I know that they've got, oh, I mean, I had
1: them losing to NC State. I know that I not nobody and, and we haven't beat Georgia tech since we joined the ACC.
2: So it's like, you know, there, yes, it's easy, but there's an, a lot of opportunities for Louisville to slip up. Now I'm not saying that I don't think they're going to win any games. Cause I think they're going to win more than that, but I'm just saying like, that narrative that this is the easiest schedule on paper, sure. I like, but football is not played on paper, or else I'd be good at football. Oh, uh, see, see, I'd, I'd disagree with that, Jacob. And, and I don't, I don't want
3: No, Now, we could get into the season, and you find out, okay, and a lot of people are already talking about this. Georgia Tech could be a lot better than people are thinking. Uh, they were a little bit better than expected last season. Um, you know, I, I think Indiana's not very good, I think Murray State's not very They're good. Terrible. Um, I don't think that they lose to a Boston college. Uh, you know, Duke is a team that people are talking about as being, you know, they're, they're the team that everybody is saying is a dark horse, which to me means they're not a dark horse. Like Duke's just for real. Like they're just legit. But look, you can't look at this at this schedule without Clemson, without North Carolina, uh, without Florida State, and without Wake Forest, you know, that, that nobody's talk, talking about. Those are the teams that Louisville has traditionally lost to. And now none of those teams are on the schedule. Also, you're talking about they beat NC State last year. They, it, was, it was a shocking upset that they lost to Boston College. Um, and, and, you know, they beat Pitt. So it's – when you look across this schedule, yes, it, it's, it is – there are some games that can slip up. Like they haven't beat Kentucky in, in, in what, four, four years and three tries, right? Like they never beat him. Beat him under Satterfield and lost Petrino's last game uh, in historic fashion. Um, you know Miami at Miami is always going to be tough, but I mean, look, I mean, you got some guys that you could potentially beat up on. Like you get Virginia Tech at home again. Uh, you get Virginia at home. You get Duke at home. You know, I mean, Pitt is, you know, again a team that you beat last year. A team that that you know this Louisville team should expect to be very competitive with. Uh, and I mean, you have pretty much cakewalks in Murray State and Indiana. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say hammer like like Matt said. I'm not gonna say hammer the over because anytime you're talking about nine wins, you know, Louisville hasn't been over ten wins in over a decade, right? Like mm-hmm. even in, in in Lamar Jackson's Heisman season, they only won nine games. Uh, so to to say that nine is an easy feat in in any season is is just not the case. Uh, however, if there is an opportunity, this is the season to do it. Because you look ahead to that 2024 schedule, uh, you know, Louisville plays Austin Peay in Indiana, but they also play at Notre Dame. They play at Kentucky. They play at Clemson. They play at Virginia Tech. They play at Virginia. They play at Wake Forest. Uh, and then they, they have Miami and North Carolina at home. I mean, that's a freaking great schedule. Like, that is a huge step up in schedule. You know, you play all of the, the powers that you're avoiding this year, uh, San's, Florida State. Uh, so, you know, it, it, I, I know that that to say to put the pressure on 2023 and Brum's first season is tough. Uh, but in the same breath, I'll also mention that, you know, you could have a, a 10-win Louisville seas- team this season that's, that's not as good as a 7-win Louisville te- team, you know, 7
2: wins in the regular season. Get your dog to shut up, man. <laughs> Go get your dog to be quiet. Get <laughs> a better dog. Yeah, get a better dog. Um, it, it's all really interesting in terms of – where Louisville could shake out. We've been saying for three years, they're going to win eight, nine, ten games. And it's not happened. I think this is the season where if they're going to do that, it, it, it's more of a likelihood. It's a down ACC. It's a down ACC overall. Clemson is not as powerful as they have been. No more divisions. It it really opens up the opportunity in terms of, of playing schedule, but no, it really opens up the opportunity for Louisville here.
1: See, I think Jeff Brom recognizes that he has an opportunity and that's, partially why he's been so proactive in a lot of spots. I mean, when he first took the job, I mean, his bread and butter is the passing game. And he saw that, hey, what was receiving core? Not that great. So he flipped the, the almost the entire position over the course of a, a month and a half. And then as soon as spring ball is over, what was the, the primary talking point? Oh, the offensive line eh, doesn't look that great bam land three four guys who can comp- who can compete right out the gates i mean and, and then you fill uh, fill out the, the rest of the roster with with guys who are just as talented and then like combine them with the uh, the returners who are coming back who who themselves are plenty talented i think brom recognized that right out of the gates he can have a special season now again you have to actually go out and do it i mean like you said jacob you don't win football games on paper but the, ver- the potential to reach Charlotte is there. Will it be difficult? Absolutely. Is it attainable? I think it is. Let's go ahead. Let's finish the show here. We're
2: going to dive into the conference realignment conversation. And I don't want to get, be too long winded about this because this is a conversation that is going to take many different directions over the next five years or so. Um, when you look at Louisville, they're in a grant of right, or excuse me, the ACC, they're in a grant of rights agreement with ESPN through 20, uh, excuse me, to 2036. So we got some time. We're going to be what, guys? We're going to be 43 by that time, uh, if oh, I'm not God. mistaken, cool. age wise. Yeah. We got, we got a, uh, there's going to be a lot that happens. We'll see if there's even a world at that point. Um, but, <laughs> so, but there's a lot, a lot of conversation around the secret seven. I mean, my God, we couldn't have come up with something else. I don't even know. What I saw Magnificent
1: Magnificent Seven. I preferred that. Isn't that a movie? It is. That's why they called it the Magnificent. Okay, Seven.
2: I don't, I don't, I don't remember that uh, much about that movie. But I do remember. Isn't is Jamie Fox in that movie? Or am I thinking of something else? That's Django. You're thinking Shane. of
1: Django and Shane. Yeah, okay, okay.
2: <laughs> I don't know why I just got those two movies confused. You're, you're thinking of uh, You're thinking of another Quentin Tarantino movie which is the something eight, the hateful eight,
1: the The hateful hateful eight.
2: eight. Okay. Yeah. I knew there was a numbered movie in there somewhere with Jamie Foxx. Is he in the the hateful eight or my No, He's not. He's in Django. I
1: think I've (laughs) seen the hateful eight, but it's been years because I saw it when it was in theaters, but.
2: Well, if you add Louisville to the mix as uh, one, uh, what is it? Greg Swam
1: has has said Jeez. here that Louisville might. Are be we there. are or, we really the- entertaining this dumbass no, on this show? We're not. Okay, we're not.
2: No, that's the joke is that Louisville is the hate. They're the hateful eighth member of the Secret Seven. But the Secret Seven, this this group of of uh, co, they're they're secret agents within the ACC looking to pull off a coup, if if you might, if you will. Uh, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Virginia, Virginia Tech. I'm curious how this meeting got together. Like this feels very – I don't even know the right word. They, they've left a lot of people out. Exclusive club. But the, this group has apparently taken a closer look at the grant of rights. What can we get away with here? The ACC now becomes the kind of the, the, the next big domino to fall with Clemson, Florida State, Miami. Those are the three of the hottest schools on the free agency market for the ACC, or excuse me, for the SEC, the Big Ten, and the Big 12. Those are the, the, the big conferences now competing to stay alive. It's going to be interesting to see what happens because we obviously know that the Big Ten and SEC have major changes coming with Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC, USC USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten in 2024. Those two big changes are going to have a ripple effect. And what that means is the SEC and the Big Ten, specifically the SEC, are ready for poaching season. They're ready to come in. They're ready to steal your girl right out from underneath your arms. They're going to be the trace songs here, right? They, they are not afraid to steal to steal what they want. And in this case, it's Clemson and Florida State. Oh, no. It's Mr. Steal Your Girl. So Clemson and Florida State are the the hot commodities for the for the uh, ACC. But the ACC continues to say. Oh, we're together. We're moving as one. We're not we're not going anywhere. And that's the ACC side of things who agreed to this horrific contract with ESPN through 2036, where they are being underpaid by millions and millions and millions of dollars. I mean, I think the ACC is at twenty three point three million per year school breakdown and the next closest conferences are in the 50s and 60s and 70 million a year there's a huge discrepancy overall from the ACC to the SEC the Big 10 Big 12 now I mean they're they're kind of same ground as ACC but fellas I'm curious if you had your your pick here and you have the SEC the uh Big Ten, which Louisville's not getting into the Big Ten. I mean, no. like I like a I tweet earlier, I, I got into U of L. That's the reason they're getting they're never getting into the Big Ten. They let me in with a terrible ACT score. They're never going to be an academic school, right? So it's the Big 12 or it's the SEC. Makes me worried for Louisville, right? I don't feel as secure this time around because of the failures of the last few years compared to in 2012, 2013. I mean that's Louisville at its peak. Like you could not have Louisville. You know what I mean? Now Louisville can get kicked to the curb, and, and we may be an AAC school again in a few years. You know what I'm saying? I mean it's a it's a it's a very scary situation here for Louisville. But you got Josh Hurd,
1: and I think that's a benefit. See, I I actually uh, feel the opposite because I mean, if any of these reports are even remotely as true when it comes to how ironclad the grant of rights is for the acc that league is staying together at a minimum for the next decade or so because i mean i can't remember who made this point uh when i first heard it in like a day or so ago but i mean texas and oklahoma two uh power five schools with some of the biggest endowments in the united states even they had to wait an additional year to where the, the exit fees from their the Big 12's grant of rights they had to wait a year so that they could actually pay it cuz it was like $120 combined $120 million combined between those two even those two schools had to wait until well, there was only a year left on the Big 12's grant of rights so i and i'm pretty sure the these seven combination of schools Clemson, Navy, Miami, UNC, NC State, Virginia, Virginia Tech it's if it's to the point where you've got lawyers from several different schools trying to figure out how impenetrable this grant of rights truly is, and it's seemingly getting nowhere. I I just don't see the ACC getting broken up unless like it's privately funded by someone with just boohoo amount of money to blow. I I, I don't. I I mean I know a lot of people don't feel that way, but I mean I feel like Louisville is secure in their spot now just because. I don't see the ACC getting broken up anytime soon. And I know ESPN has no desire to go back to the negotiating table because they have a favorable deal with the ACC. Why the hell would they want to re- renegotiate anything? They they're not going to do anything. And plus <laughs> ESPN's in the middle of a bunch of layoffs anyways, and they've got to negotiate uh, with, their Their own TV deals with other entities like UFC and the, if there's a couple others. That they're I mean, they on. just so, gave
2: Pat McAfee a buttload of money. I mean, not that that's coming from yeah. the same pool.
1: So I mean, like people want to act like the four letter network that has ca- a ton of cash to blow. They really don't. So they're they're not going to try and get a new deal from the ACC because what they have now works for them. So that's right.
2: That's the that's the interesting part of this is the contracts with the TV networks. The way that it's negotiated is that several of these contracts have come up. For the ACC, the or excuse me, the SEC, the Big Twelve, the uh, Pac twelve, the the Big Ten, all of these conferences TV deals have recently come up, and they've renegotiated. And the scary thing is, several of these conferences deals are going to come up again before the ACC grant of rights expires in twenty thirty six. I think the the Big Ten and the SEC will have the opportunity to renegotiate their deals before that happens. The ACC has to make a move, and I don't know what it is right now. I don't know if you if the ACC and the Big Twelve merge, which seems kind of silly, but I don't know. I don't know what you do here, but you have to make sure at all costs you do not let Florida State and Clemson get away. If they go, the ACC is done. it, it is what it is because there is no schools that you can go out and add now, right? Cincinnati, Central Florida, BYU. Uh, and Houston just went to the Big 12. There are no other mid-major football schools ready to go up. There are – there's, I mean, maybe they, they can add Notre Dame, but I mean, Notre Dame's not been jumping to the ACC with these schools. Why are they going to go now? The grant of rights seems impenetrable right now, but we've seen college football programs find a way to make it work. And if Florida State comes out this year – say Florida State wins the ACC and they go to the college football playoff, right you don't think Florida State's going to have a problem with the fact that their discrepancy from a payout standpoint and revenue is almost 20 and 30 million dollars different than the ACC
1: and I'm actually glad you mentioned the college football playoff I think it's weird that so many places want to spin the wheels of conference realignment right now it's when like when like a huge factor is money and a huge boost to a lot of these universities pockets is going to be making the expanded college football playoff right i, I don't understand why that has to now when like you see how the first it's year or two goes green. with the, the expanded football playoff like you see how oh where's the word? what's the word on the call? see how fair and opportunistic it is for uh, schools outside of the usual suspects like wait until that point and, and and then you can make your call, like, yeah, I think we should go to this this concert, this uh conference, that concert, excuse me. Because I mean, perfect example, let's look at the SEC now. I mean, under the under the the model of the expanded playoff, you've got what is it, the six auto bids, the five power five and then the group of five, and then six at large. I mean, the SEC obviously has one. And how many of those other at larges is the SEC truly going to get? Probably, I mean, at some I mean, point, at some point, all of the current, the future uh, SEC members are just going to beat up on each other because you've got. I mean, they they all can't go ten and two or eleven and two because you've got Bama, LSU, Florida, uh, Texas, Oklahoma. Georgia. Uh, yeah. Auburn, LSU.
2: Right. Auburn. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, Texas A&M, there's a number of, that's right. You're, you are spot on. And and,
1: and you can make the case for UC, uh, USC and UCLA and their move from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. I mean, from a competitive standpoint and like the easiness of getting into the for football playoff, why the hell would you want to leave the Pac-12 for? Because I mean, the, other than Oregon, who's truly a threat? Left-
2: They've been left out, though. I mean, that's the thing, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, but the Pac-12 champion has only gotten into the college football playoff a handful of times over the last few years. I mean, yeah, no, that's what the- I'm
1: saying. Like, even if you don't win the Pac-12, since there's so few challengers in the Pac-12 to get an at-large, I mean, that- if you're a USC or UCLA or, hell, even an Oregon or a Washington, even if you don't win, like, the Pac-12 can get two maybe three in if they have a good year. I mean, but you're not going to see a a situation where the SEC or any conference, mind you, is going to get four in.
2: I disagree. I disagree. I think that this is built to add more SEC schools into the college football playoff, Matt. Like, look at every year, okay, right? So you you have two teams playing the conference championship. Typically, those two teams are two of the top contenders for the playoff. And on numerous occasions, we've then seen another team left out i.e. Alabama. How many times has Alabama been left out of the playoff because they didn't make it to the conference championship because they lost to Auburn in the final game of the season? Then that doesn't even include the the other teams who maybe sputtered late or, you know, have two or three losses. This playoff is going to eventually be those six schools that you mentioned, two SEC schools, a couple Big Ten schools maybe a big 12 school and a Pac 12 school like that, or maybe one more group of five, like that's how it's going to go. And maybe an ACC school. I I feel like All I'm right. being kind of biased here, but go ahead. I feel like you have something that you just looked up. Data-wise. Well,
1: yeah, I, I just looked up something. I was curious as to what the AP poll ranking was. Well, I probably should have looked up the college football playoff rankings, but oh, well, as to what the AP poll was at the end of conference championship. So you've got Georgia, number one, who SEC champion, Michigan, big 10 champion, TCU, Big Twelve runner up, Ohio State Big Ten, Alabama SEC, Tennessee SEC, Utah Pac twelve, USC Pac twelve, Penn State Big Ten, Clemson ACC, Kansas State Big Twelve, Washington Pac twelve. Those are the, those were the top twelve teams in the AP poll at the end of conference championship weekend. That's
2: a good point. You're definitely
1: there were not only wrong. there were only three SEC teams. There there were just as many. Actually, let me re- recount that. There were just as many Pac twelve teams in as the SEC was. That's last
2: year, though. I mean, that's – that's yeah, what have you done for me lately? That's true. I'll give you that last I know, not I, yeah. don't, I don't see a situation where,
1: though, the, where the SEC gets like half of the field. I don't see that. It just has
2: always seemed like the SEC is favored from a football standpoint because at the end of the year, because of what you mentioned, they're beat up, they've played each other but you have these big name brands in Oklahoma and Texas and Auburn and Texas A&M and, and uh, LSU and Florida and but Alabama everyone can't and Auburn get double and Georgia. digit wins
1: though. That's the they thing.
2: Can. They can't, you're right. Especially if they add another sec game to the schedule, it's definitely going to eventually kind of, you know, play itself out. But at the same time, I, I simply am saying that right now, my, the final point in this, and I think what we we will all agree to this is that this football season for Louisville might be one of the most important in program history. It's one of those years where you better, you better put yourself back on the national landscape. You have been so irrelevant in football under Scott Satterfield, and that hurts me to say because I've I've enjoyed. You know, it's been an up and down couple of years, but I've enjoyed covering football the last couple of years. It's been fun to go out and to be at games, but yeah, it sucked at times because Louisville has been. Boring and they've been predictable and no one in the world has cared about Louisville nationally, but you go out there this year and you beat somebody, you, you become a top 25 team. You go and you play in a, uh, you know, in a new York six bowl or something close post Christmas. Now you've put yourself back in the conversation for conference realignment of being a team that conferences have to have. And, and Presley, you know, this better than anybody. Basketball is great. Louisville's been a top revenue producer for a long time in basketball not so much recently, but the decisions that are being made are football related and they are revenue based. Louisville football has to get back. Yeah, I mean, you see that Louisville's still continuing
3: to pour resources into the football program. I mean, not that that not that they're not in the basketball program, but you know, if, if anybody read the the article that I wrote about UVL's financials uh, over the last few years, they're pulling money out of the basketball program uh, while continuing to stabilize the football program. Uh, and, and so that just goes to show you, I mean, football is king. It, it decides, you know, where most of the revenue, uh, if not the, the vast, vast majority of the revenue comes uh, for, for any program, let alone Louisville. I mean, you, you get more fans into the, into the stadiums, you get more eyes watching on TV, uh, you get, you know, more attention uh, to, to football than, and than any other, uh, facet uh, of of you know academics or um, any other sports related um, things going on ar- around a university. Uh, one other thing that that I would bring up as well, if if this does come to a, a, a head where you know Florida State and Clemson end up going to the Big Ten or the SEC, uh, you know Louisville's not going to be one of those teams that ends up in the SEC or or the Big Ten. Uh, academically, uh, those are two of the more stringent um conferences. I would say that the ACC just you know doing a little bit of research, the ACC is probably the best academic conference there is in the country outside of obviously the the uh, you know what is what is Harvard and Yale and
1: uh, Ivy.
3: the Ivy League thank you. but uh, as far as any major conference, I mean you look at at where the top of the ACC ranks academically you have Duke is ninth uh, Notre Dame's 19th, Virginia's 25th. North Carolina and Waker 28th, Boston College 36th, Georgia Tech 38th. Um, let's see, Florida State 55th, Miami 55th, Syracuse 59th, Pitt 59th, Clemson 75th, Virginia Tech 75th, NC State 79th. All right. And then there's a big ass gap. And then there's University of Louisville 187th. This was a huge controversy when Louisville came into the ACC mm-hmm. that Louisville wasn't a good enough academic school. Since they joined the ACC, uh, they've continued to climb these ranks you know Louisville was like in the 250s range uh, when they came into the ACC obviously wolf you know Louisville, as far as uh, academics acceptance trades that's that sort of stuff has improved over the past few years whereas you know back in the the 70s and 80s in basketball the reason why they were dominant at times is because they were notorious for just bringing in players that couldn't get into some of the bigger schools and again that's nothing against some of those players but it but that is that, that it, that's was the reality of the situation there's even a, a broadcaster i believe in in the early 80s that was suspended it was either espn or cbs uh for making a comment about Louisville just letting anybody come in um academically and pretty much you know insinuating denny Cromwell's was cheating by bringing in those type of players now when you look at the sec and big 10 very similar academically but then you look at the big Twelve. So you remember all of the teams, every team. I'll, is,
1: I'll pause you right there. I've seen the SEC's numbers. That's not that
3: great. But it's, it's better. It's much better than the Big 12. I can tell you that. That's true. And, and, That's and very true. There's, a, there's always the huge thing as well of, of uh, market share and that sort of stuff in Kentucky not wanting Louisville to be in the, in the SEC. I can't blame anybody for trying to bar Louisville for, for entering. And I'm not sure what Louisville brings to the table at at this moment as far as bolstering that conference's resume. Now Uh, it's
2: a top, top TV market. That's the only thing really at this point you have to offer. That's it. But they already,
3: the SEC already has the TV market with half of, of UK's fans living in Louisville.
2: That's
1: a good point. So, so,
3: but when you look at the big 12 academically, you know, we just listed off all those, all those teams that were in the top 75, um, which was pretty much every team except for Louisville, right? And Louisville is top 200. Uh, Mm -hmm. But you look at, at currently the way that the big 12 sits, this will change next year. Texas is the best school academically tied for 42nd, and then Baylor 76. Those are the only two teams that would be in the top uh, 14 schools in in the ACC. Then you have TCU's 80th, uh, Iowa State's 118th, Kansas 124, uh, Oklahoma 133, Kansas State 170, Oklahoma State 187, which is right around where Louisville is, and then you have Texas Tech 217 and West Virginia 241. Uh, So when you look across the the landscape of – of, uh, uh, you know, conferences allowing uh, programs to come in. You know, obviously the Big 12 is allowing, uh, you know, or bringing in Central Florida, um, Houston. Who else am I missing? BYU
1: um, and Cincinnati.
3: BYU and Cincinnati, right. So, uh, again, teams that are right around the same realm of uh, as Louisville academically. Uh, so, I think the Big 12, if this uh, does become a shit show again and, <clears throat> and there's more conference realignment and you see – you know, down the road, 2027-28, Louisville's looking for a conference. The Big 12 is pretty much going to be their only option. Um, so that'll be fascinating to watch uh, how, that, how that works out, regardless of what you guys were just talking about, which is all intriguing stuff. Ultimately, it comes down to does the ACC disband or does it not? And if they do, if they do how quickly can Louisville align itself with the Big 12? Because that's pretty much its only option. Uh, and Louisville, if you remember, they were right there in the conversation when West Virginia uh, joined, joined the Big 12. It was pretty much down to Louisville or West Virginia uh, at, at that time. They ultimately went with West Virginia. Louisville gets accepted into the ACC shortly after. Uh, so it, it all worked out at the time. But this is going to be another time when Louisville's going to have to go back and and, and you know, and, and and renegotiate and and take advantage of of those connections because now Louisville is a much more attractive option than than a lot of the programs that the big twelve is is bringing in uh, next season and and beyond. So
2: all right, that's gonna put a bow on the show here. Definitely, a lot of interesting things happening around the football program. It will continue to be an interesting offseason transfer portal not done. Louisville probably will look to add a couple more spots. Uh, And of course, conference realignment and all this stuff will continue to be a topic of conversation throughout the the offseason. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. Subscribe if you have not from the Pink Seeds podcast anywhere that you get your shows and tune in next week. We are back with uh, episode five of Where Are They Now? with Art Carmody kicking it to the uh, kicking it huh? did not mean to do that pun intended but uh, going back uh, to talk about some of the bright days of Louisville football back under Bobby 1.0 we'll talk with the uh, Lou Garza award winner uh, next week so be sure that you tune in subscribe to the show as I mentioned and we will catch you then until then go cards